0: So before I get into what I have prepared to say today, I just want to share some things about, about the hand of God. That you may or may you may or may not be aware of this. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't like to plug in my own work because it seems self-serving, but uh, last week I preached a message that was called the sovereignty of God and the sweetness of sorrow or the sweetness of comfort. And uh, we looked at the hand of God that was not only in, in the good things and not only in the triumphs that we have, but also in the trials, in our, in our sufferings, um, in our grief, hand of God in our loss, in our pain, and how he shepherds us and, and leads us through that. As Job said, he said, shall we accept the good from the Lord and not the bad? And yet the Bible says in all of that, when in saying that, in saying can we accept the good and not the bad from God, the Bible says he didn't sin in saying that. That message was the third and final message about the Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 which is blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now, let me let me back up to about a year ago, a little over a year ago. I could probably go back a lot further but my memory is not that good. Um, if dad were here for me to ask I imagine that he would probably have a lot to say about what I'm going to try to walk you through in the next couple of minutes. But let me just go back to March 15th of last year of 2020. Before things shut down, I preached the first sermon in a series that I called Disrupted. Disrupted. And uh, the point was to show you that Christians aren't like anyone else. That uh, when God's grace get a holds of, gets a hold of you, it radically changes you. We are radically different people than the world. I wanted to show you that God's grace disrupts things. It changes things in our lives. Old things have to die and new things come in. We can't can't act like we used to. We can't do like we used to. We can't talk like we used to. We can't spend like we used to. It changes our budgets. It disrupts our budgets. It disrupts our habits. It disrupts our attitudes. When Christ changes you, he disrupts you. People are going to look at you and think something is different about you. That was the whole point. The whole point was to show you that things are going to be uncomfortably different in your life when Christ gets a hold of you. And then the very next week, they shut everything down. I started a series on uncomfortableness, disruption. And the very next week, they shut everything down. We had to shift gears for a few weeks. I did not want to preach about a radically altered life to a camera. I didn't want to do it, so I didn't. I, we sh, were shifting. We had Easter coming up. We had, to do some, you know, we had to do some topical sermons and try to speak into the moment of, of being away, but trying to stay together. And, and so we, we, we kind of shifted and did all that. And so that went on for a couple of weeks. And then finally, on April 19th, I broke down, and I went ahead and preached a second sermon in that series, which was, Don't Receive the Grace of God in Vain. And Paul said, that's, that's what, actually, that was from Peter. Peter said that, we don't receive the grace of God in vain, which means let, let Christ do his work. Don't just take the name, don't just hear this message and say, oh, well, that, that's, a wonderful, that's a wonderful notion. I think I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. I think I'll work with that. Or I'll let that mantle set up on me, but then, but then just live like it. Nothing's different. Just keep walking in the same steps you walked in. And so much of us do that. We just keep walking the same way, but we wear the name. Do you know that's what it means to take the Lord's name in vain? It has nothing to do with the words you say. Amen. Amen. It got nothing to do with words that come out of your mouth. In fact, to say that word, they didn't even know that word existed when God wrote the commandment. That commandment was written in Hebrew, not English. Amen. It's about taking the name yes. upon you and then living as if you're not married to him. Yes. Amen. Amen. Come on. Don't let that grace come in you and not have radically altered your life. They will know you by the fruit you produce. If you don't produce fruit, guess what? You ain't changed. Finally, and I thought, I'm just gonna have to do it. I got This is burning in me. I don't know how long we're gonna be in this situation where I can't get with them. I don't wanna preach it to a camera, but what choice do I have? So I preached it to a camera. God's got to get in you, and you got to let Him do His work. So I preached it to a camera, and I put it out there, and I trusted Holy Spirit. You're going to have to do your work on a screen, at least in this in a sanctuary. I've got them as a captive audience, but in their living room, God, I can look at the I can look at the the goodness. I can look on the back end and see that y'all only watch about five minutes of it when I put it online. I can do it. I hate doing it. I hate doing them online. I hated it, but I had no choice. So I did it. Guess what happened the next week? Not even the next week, three days later, I had a stroke. I'm preaching about disruption, and then God gave me a stroke. Yeah, I said God did it. Shall we accept the good from the Lord and not the bad? I prayed to God, Lord, let me be more compassionate about people. Don't get me wrong. I love people. I do. I'd walk across the street if you were on fire, and I would, I would help you. I'm not like the, 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 the people who weren't. Who, I'm like the good Samaritan. If I saw someone suffering, I would go help him. I would do that. But I, I didn't have much compassion for people's plight. I wanted you to fix yourself. Fix yourself. I mean, you, you have a problem? Fix it. I didn't want to walk with you through it. I want to, I want to toil with you and labor with you. And I prayed, Lord, I don't feel much compassion for people. Give me compassion for people. Then I had a stroke. And ever since then, I've been a crybaby. I've been a crybaby. I'm telling you, I feel people's pain, I feel it. It hits me. I don't know. He changed chemistry up here, He did something in my heart. I can't blame, I'm not going to blame that all on the stroke, but something radically changed then. I weep for people that I never did before. He disrupted me. He disrupted me. Finally, we were able to get things back together. And I continued that series about how God disrupts things in our, our lives. And then I preached uh, for seven weeks on money and possessions. Because when God changed my heart towards people, then he led me into Luke. Where, where Jesus said, if anyone comes to you begging, give to everyone who comes to you begging. And that just hit me like it's never hit me before. You mean that when, when someone comes to me and begs for me and asks me, I'm supposed to actually give it to him? What are you telling me, Lord? I'm supposed to actually give to people who come to me and ask for stuff from me? That's a commandment from my Lord. And I'm supposed to be a radically altered Christian. I just came through a series on being a radically different Christian, and now I read, give to everyone who comes to me begging. And so we went through seven weeks on money and possessions and how we're supposed to live sacrificially different lives and and radically different lives and a sacrificially generous life towards others. And I thought, if I could get into your pocketbooks, if I can convince you that that means your pocketbook too, I can convince you of other things. And so in the middle of a, I thought, how am I going to preach this in the middle of a pandemic? Well, I certainly can't talk about tithes. And so we, I didn't even mention it. We didn't take up offerings because of the way that COVID uh, restrictions were. We didn't normally, we bring our tithes up here. Everyone gathered and we dropped it into the bucket. So we didn't do that. We put a little box at the back. It's nondescript. I never even mentioned it. Didn't, we didn't have a portion of the service where we bring our offerings to the storehouse. We didn't, I, we put it into that. Never mentioned it because I didn't want you to connect tithing to, to what I was talking about. I wanted it to be about living generously. Amen. And I want you to think, oh, he's just trying to collect money for the church. He's trying to get selfish gain. I had nothing of that in my heart. Amen. I wanted you to see that we need to live sacrificially for others because Christ has called us to a sacrificial life. Why? Because that's the life that he lived for us. Amen. And he said, as I have loved you, love your brother. Love your brother the way I have loved you. And what did he do? He went to the cross and he died. That's where he brought us. That's where he brought us. Seven weeks on that. Never once called for tithes. I don't think I still have. I still haven't done that. Here's the thing about that. During that time, this is the middle of a pandemic. Government shut down. Businesses are shut down. People are suffering financially. The government passed sweeping legislation for COVID economic relief. I'm wondering, Lord, how am I gonna do this? How's the church gonna survive? We can't even, I mean, we've had, people have left. They're not even coming to church. We had Sundays where we got, you know, 12 people in the audience. How are we gonna How are we gonna survive financially? So, the government passes sweeping legislation for COVID relief. And to everyone's surprise, they included churches and religious organizations in that that legislation. The hand of God is at work. And I jumped on it. I wrestled with it and I thought, I don't want to take from Caesar. I don't want to take from King Cyrus, the godless king. But then that's where he took me in Nehemiah. He said, Look, Nehemiah did it. Nehemiah built, built Jerusalem with the godless money from King Cyrus. Why are you going? To, I, mean, I gave it to him. Do it. It's all right. So he fully funded us for the rest of the year through the money from the godless king. So I had no compulsion about not taking, not even mentioning offerings. I, I, I could preach without any sort of burden about whether or not we're going to be able to fund the operation. Just, just, just to pay. I, I didn't have any burden. No burden. And I, and I was able to tell you that. There is no, no burden here. What a what a do you see God's hand? Do you see His hand? What a what a release for me to do that. COVID relief round two just passed here recently. I mean, you can say what you want to about it. I, I, whatever you want to say about it. They still included churches. They still included religious organizations. But this time uh, there was a restriction in that you had to show a uh, economic disadvantage. You had to show from one quarter of 2020. Uh, that you had a loss, all right? You had to show that you had a loss of revenue uh, from one quarter of 2020. Did you know that I couldn't show that? Amen. In all of that, even with the extra, take the government money out of it, take the godless king's money out of it, I could not show that we lost. With there's People aren't coming to church. There's nobody in the pews. Everybody's hurting financially because their jobs are shutting down. I could not show that we lost revenue. Do, do, do you ever go into your checkbook and you just look at it and you think, how in the world did we make that work? Yeah. I paid my tithes. Yeah, sure. I've given generously. That person came to me and asked me, and I, I didn't have it to give, but I gave, and and I still made ends meet. God, you are so good. Yes, amen. The sovereignty of God and the sweetness of comfort. I didn't plan that. I didn't plan to go through, I mean, I didn't plan that. I didn't plan to preach money and, 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 and generosity in the middle of a pandemic for God to work like that. And I just knew, I thought, and the reason I did that was because I, I wanted to talk about kingdom stuff. I want to talk about, about God, guys. We we're just this little pocket right here in Paris, Texas. And I, we need to we need to reach our community, we need to reach God, we need to reach people for the kingdom of God. We need to do more than just just our four and no more in these four walls. We need to get outside these four walls. I'm trying to prepare you. I'm trying to prepare you for mission work, I'm trying to prepare you to go out and reach the city. And if I can get into your pocketbook, if I can convince you that that your pocketbook is God's pr- property, then I can convince, that's the easy part. If I can convince you that your wallet belongs to God, I can, this right here is easy. And so for the next 15 weeks, we talked about two verses and two scriptures in the Bible. We spent 15 weeks on making disciples. When I tell other preachers that, they're like, What? It blows their mind. I don't, I don't know how we did that. I don't know. That I, I'm blown away when I go back and look at, my goodness, how do we spend that long on two scriptures in the Bible? It was like four verses. But making disciples. That, what, what are we here for? What are we here for if we're, not, if we're not building God's kingdom? If we're not, he has given us such riches in him. If we're not sharing that, we are so selfish. We are so selfish if we're not sharing it. Paul said I've, I've got to get it I've got i suffered everything for their sakes I've got to tell it Amen. Amen. Right. Right. do you know what he endured oh we talked about that just think about the stripes on his back Four, uh, what was it five times he suffered the 40 lashes minus one just so that he could spread the gospel Amen. and we don't want to get out, go to church when it's raining We don't want to talk to people about Christ because it's uncomfortable. It is embarrassing to us. We're afraid they might make us lose our jobs. Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. Amen. Amen. 15 weeks on it. This is where God took us. And then I thought, Lord, you've, you've taken me here 15 weeks. I don't, I don't really know where to go next. Where should I go next? And he said, well, you told him that you got to make disciples. This is where I'm, I'm praying to him. Lord, where do you want me to go? You told him you got to make disciples. You better tell them what to teach them, Because I said, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing and teaching. What are they going to tell him, Jeff? So I said, okay, Lord, let's go to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus told him about the way. He presented the way. So we started just five weeks ago on the way. And I gave you an overview sermon on the way. We just went through it and just gave you an overview. And then four weeks ago I told you about blessed the very first verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then for the last three weeks. Amen. Yes, Yes, Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. I had no no idea. No one knew. Amen. Amen. I didn't know. I didn't know that we would be losing our pastor. That I'd be losing my dad. And Sunday, I preached the sovereignty of God and the sweetness of comfort. That he holds all of that In his hand. Do you see the Lord at work? That's just last year, church. That's just, and that's just from the perspective of the sermons I've been preaching. And I don't, I haven't planned that out. I mean, I I don't had no clue. And Dad's decline happened pretty quick. God has shepherded this church from the beginning. If dad were here, he would tell you so many stories of God's faithfulness and so many stories of the times where the hand of God was so clear. The world calls it coincidence, but man. Christ will continue to shepherd this church as long as we keep our eyes on him. Amen. Amen. You have your Bibles, turn them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I have to hurry because we have a lot to do. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. In this section of his letter, he is offering them comfort and he's trying to set aside some fears that have risen because some Incorrect thinking about the second coming of the Lord. So in verse 13, he says, let's just read 13 through 18. He says, we do not want you to be informed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with them those who have fallen asleep. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. As we read this, it's very important for us to remember that Paul was writing this to offer comfort. The church in Thessalonica had become very fearful and they were grieving over their lost loved ones. The ones who had died believing and trusting in Jesus. Some people have begun to spread the idea that when Jesus returned to take the redeemed believers home, to take the church home to heaven, that only those who were alive at the time of his return would be caught up with him. And so some of the old uh, Sadducean ways of thinking, even the old pagan ways of thinking, were, were beginning to creep in, the idea that there was no resurrection, there was no life after death. And that's why Paul very quickly wanted to set them apart. He wanted to set the church apart in verse 13. He said, we do not grieve as others. We don't grieve as those people who have no hope. And if I could encourage you right now, if I could just take out your highlighter, take out your pen, whatever you've got, write that down, underline that, memorize it, whatever you've got to do, make it fit the context that you've got it. That is a fighter verse. That's a perseverance verse. It's one of those scriptures that you can quickly call on to memorize, you can quickly draw back to your memory, and you can dig your heels into it. I do not grieve as one who does not have any hope. I do not weep as one who has no hope. I do not work as one who has no hope. I don't sweat as one who has no hope. I don't toil as one who has no hope. I don't suffer as one who has no hope. I don't grieve as one one who has no hope. I do not give as one who has no hope. I don't sacrifice as one who has no hope. I do not do as one who has no hope. I have hope. You may see me down, but I'm not out. You may see me stricken, but let me show you my Savior. You may see me wounded, but when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. I have hope, and my hope is a solid foundation. My hope is in Jesus Christ. I have a hope, and He is a solid rock. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We do not weep as those who have no hope, church. Write it down. Memorize it. I'm telling you, you can stand on it. We're not stricken as ones who have no hope. I'm not like the others out there. I have a hope that is a solid rock and it can't be shaken. So circle it and underline it. Get it in you. The church at Thessalonica, they were confused about Jesus' return. And so Paul wanted to set it straight. And he said, right off the bat, he said, we are not, we don't weep. We don't grieve as ones who have no hope. So you have something they have, they don't have. Amen. They don't have this hope. Amen. Paul is writing to set it straight. He's writing to tell them that those who have died knowing Jesus haven't missed anything. They haven't missed Anything, he's writing to give them comfort and assurance about our blessed hope in the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of our own bodies. What he's not doing here, what he's not trying to do, is give us a blueprint for uh, for the resurrection, a blueprint for death and resurrection, or a blueprint for the rapture. That's not his point. And it's important for us to understand that because we can get bogged down in tiny details that weren't Paul's point, that weren't the point he's trying to make. He's concerned about saying one thing. Those who have died in Christ will be raised with us to be with him in heaven forever. That's essentially what verse 17 says in a nutshell. We do not weep as ones who have no hope. And that hope, the point that Paul was making, is built on one thing. Verse 14, Paul says, and he lays out the basis for everything, all of our hope. Jesus died and rose again. Without that church, there is no gospel. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. Christ defeated death. He defeated sin. You know that song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And that is the whole point, isn't it? That's the whole point that Paul is making. All other ground is sinking sand. Isn't that what he was saying in verse 13 when he said, We do not grieve as others who have no hope. We're not like them. We are different We grieve, pain hurts, but we're not like them. We cry, but we cry differently. You're different. They don't have hope. You have something different. All other ground is sinking sand. There's no hope out there. The only hope, the only solid ground is Jesus Christ. Everything else is like walking on quicksand. It's not solid. Mm -hmm. How do they make it through troubled times? Without something like that to stand on. Jesus is the only water that can quench a thirsty soul. He is the only bread that can satisfy your hunger. And Paul finishes, therefore, encourage one another with these words. These are heavy times for us. It's heavy time for me. Man, I... Heavy times for you. I don't have a corner on grief. So encourage one another with these words. We don't weep as those who have no hope. (laughs) We've got hope. And so with that as our our great comfort, I want us to gather together as a family of believers, the family of God, family worship center. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, to celebrate him, his resurrection, our salvation in the breaking of bread. We haven't done this in over a year. It is high time.